Are you familiar with the Oregon Trail in history? The Oregon Trail. Back in the 1840s through 1860s, some 500,000 people took the Oregon Trail from start, commencing in St. Louis, Missouri and going all the way to the Oregon coast, the, the Oregon Trail. Some of us in our travels out west have actually visited sections of the Oregon Trail. There was so much traffic on the Oregon Trail. I remember one place we visited in Wyoming where the trail went up over a rock ridge and you could actually see the grooves in the rocks there were so many wagons that went across there, they actually left grooves in the rocks that you can see even to this day. A lot of travelers on the Oregon Trail. But we're told that when those people started out on their journey out west, that it was known before they started that they weren't all going to make it. In fact, one out of ten, it's estimated one out of ten or more people who started out on the Oregon Trail did not make it. There were a lot of things that could go wrong. When you're on the Oregon Trail, uh, people died from snake bites, from gunshot wounds, from drowning, from starvation. Of course, many of them suffered dysentery. There are all kinds of things that could go wrong if you're traveling out west on the Oregon Trail. When they got there, of course, there was a lot of work to do when they got there. They had to start from scratch, basically, to, 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 to eke out a, a survival in often unforgiving circumstances, it was tough going on the Oregon Trail. I I read an essay that a guy had prepared, uh, a fellow named Sidney Tracy prepared a uh, sort of a what you need to know if you're going to go on the Oregon Trail. He wrote a guide for what to expect and, and how to survive a trip out west on the Oregon Trail. He said, here's the things that you'll need. You'll need to uh, to travel. You need a covered wagon with extra parts and oxen or horses to pull it, rifles and knives for hunting and protection, axes for cutting down trees, lanterns, lanterns, matches and candles, soap, scissors, needle, pin, thread for sewing or stitching, tents, bedding and pillows. He said, you'll need to be able to cut down trees which you will... Uh, you, uh, you need to cut down trees which you'll be able to use to build rafts and cabins and make root cellars. You'll need to use moss and mud to fill empty spaces in cabin walls. Cut sod into blocks, then stack them to make a house. Make a fire using twigs, grass, corn cobs, and buffalo or cow chips. And on it goes. Pretty rough existence on the Oregon Trail. I want to tell you. I mean, with all due respect, I don't think most of us are going to make it. I, I think we would increase those odds. You know, there's one out of ten is not going to make it. If we started out on the Oregon Trail, I'd be willing to guess maybe nine out of ten of us wouldn't make it. Uh, that was hard life. That was hard going. If you're going to travel the Oregon Trail back in those days, you would certainly uh, need to very carefully adhere to all the survival strategies, the kind that we just read from. You'd have to be up on what it takes to survive such a a strenuous journey. Well, I want to suggest to you that we are on a spiritual journey. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where uh, Gordon read for us a moment ago, we're referred to there as strangers and pilgrims. We are on a journey. 
And we are traveling through hostile territory on our search for and our destination being, of course, an eternal home in heaven. We need some survival strategies on our journey. Just like those who traveled on the Oregon Trail were told, here's what to expect and here's what you need to be ready to do. I think spiritually we need to have that same kind of planning and preparation, uh, make our way safely to the promised land. And so our lesson this morning for just a few minutes will be survival strategies for strangers and pilgrims. That's, that's you and me. Thanks for being here on this Lord's Day morning. We're so grateful that you're here. We appreciate you so very much. We always draw encouragement from one another, and, and uh, this time together today is no exception to that. We're, we're certainly uh, glad to be able to be together. We have visitors today, and we are grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time that you have a chance to be here. Uh, again, our ultimate goal, of course, not only just to encourage one another, but certainly to bring our honor and glory before God is what we seek to accomplish in our assembly today. So what would be some of the things, if we're going to make it on this long, hard trip, what are some of the things that we need to do? I want to start out by saying we just have to be firmly committed to do what's right. Every day, every moment of every day, we have to have our minds made up to do what is right on this trip. You know, indecision is really a, a, a bad thing, and indecision often leads to failure. Maybe even in, in something like driving your car, you know, you get to, how often have you seen a driver? Hopefully it wasn't you, but maybe someone that you observed, and they get to a particular part, and they don't know, they don't know whether to go or stop or turn left or turn right or go straight, and they're just kind of frozen in indecision. And sometimes, unfortunately, that even leads to an accident because they couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to do in the moment. Uh, indecision often leads to failure. Well, in spiritual matters, indecision leads to failure. We need to make up our mind right now. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing every time the situation confronts us. We're going to do the right thing. We remember the very famous statement of Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We talk often, we refer to this verse a lot, but we, we talk about Joshua's absolute determination. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You do what you're going to do, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. And that's the kind of determination that we need. In Acts chapter 4, Beginning at verse 19, Peter and John answered and said unto them, this them of the text is the, the Jewish council. Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I, I, I'm interested here when Peter and John, we cannot but speak. Why couldn't they speak something else? Well, why were they, why were they forced to speak what they had seen and heard about Jesus. I think that's pretty easy. It's because they had made up their minds already. They were determined. They were going to do right. We cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. And so a very easy first principle here, a, a strategy, if you will, for survival spiritually is make a firm decision to do what's right. Make your mind up now. One of the things we talk about... Uh, reasonably often is the matter of attendance. Let's just use that as an example of what we're saying. We're going to have a worship assembly tonight at 6 o'clock. And then we're going to meet again Wednesday night for Bible study at 7 o'clock. 
you need to have your mind made up now. You're going to be here or not. You know, if you wait, so I'm, I'm going to see about this evening. I'm, I'm going to wait until closer to time to make up my mind whether I'm coming back tonight or not. If you do that, you, there's a high percentage probability that you will not come. If you wait till the moment to make the decision, you won't make the right decision. Make the decision now. I'm, I'm going to be here every time the doors are open. Tonight, Wednesday night, next week, week after that. Every time I'm going to make up your mind. Be determined. Make that firm decision now so that you don't have to make it in the moment of trial. Secondly, let me suggest to you that we need to try to help others live right. So I'm going to make up my mind to do right. And then I'm going to, as much as is within me, I'm going to try to be a resource to others to help them live right. You know, when we find something good, uh, one of the things that we like to do is share that with others. I know some of the ladies here, uh, they, they sort of network together by text messages. And if they find a particularly good deal... Uh, they will tell the other ladies about that good deal. Um, I, I need to ask you all to please stop <laughs> flagging Cindy on those good deals. No, she really appreciates I'm teasing. She really appreciates that. But that's the thing. When you find something good, you want to share it with others. And, and that's certainly true. Uh, this is the biggest thing. This is the most important thing. Uh, so try to help others. And, and what actually happens is when you try to help others, you end up helping yourself. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we're actually given this assignment. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Do you do that? Do you consider your fellow Christians? Actually, there, there, the, there's a concept here that when we consider others, when we do what we can to provoke others to love and good work, we're actually helping ourselves as well. And so a survival... Can you imagine on the Oregon Trail? Back to the Oregon Trail for a minute. Can you imagine how everybody had to pitch in? If one wagon broke down, for instance, and the wheel fell off, everybody, I'm just going on, man. He can take care of his own wheel. I'm not worried about him. No, they would stop and they would try to assist one another. They had to. They depended on each other. And in a, in a very real spiritual sense, that's true of us. Try to help others in this journey. Invest yourself in your service to God. We hear a lot of times about companies who uh, give their employees a share in the ownership of the company. Uh, so if you're there for a while, you begin to get certain perks and benefits of your employment. And some of those might be uh, profit sharing or um, maybe a stock purchase opportunity. And you, you can buy interest in the, in the company. You, in other words, if the company does well, you do well. Therefore, I'm going to do my best to make the company do well because when the company does well, does well I do well. And so the idea of getting the employees to invest into the business is, is that, that's just a good thing to do. Well, spiritually speaking, we need to be deeply invested in our spiritual service to God because the more... In, so, if I'm an employee in that company, I'm not going to do things that hurt the, the outcome. I'm going to do things that help the outcome of the company because I'm invested in it, right? Spiritually speaking, if I'm deeply invested into the business of serving God, then I'm not going to do things that harm my investment. I'm going to do things that ensure and promote my investment. 
in the spiritual service of God. That's the principle we're trying to get at here. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's the key. Where's your treasure? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Where's, where's your treasure? What are you most invested in? You need to be mostly invested in serving God faithfully in order to make this journey to the promised land of heaven. Because if, you're not, if you don't have your treasure there, if your treasure's all here, you're going to be focused on here. But if your treasure's there, you're going you're to be committed to go there. Invest in your service to God. Could we suggest that in, in this long, hard journey, we need to be realistic. Some things are going to happen. There, there are going to be some setbacks and failures and some discouragements. On the Oregon Trail, you spoke, how, how far do you think? They, so, so the Oregon Trail officially started at St. Louis and went northwest. How far outside of St. Louis do you think they got before the first bad thing happened? My guess is they didn't get very far at all, you know. Maybe a, a, a long rainy uh, uh, period set in. The, the wagons got mired up in the mud. Uh, you know, maybe somebody got hurt. Almost certainly somebody got sick. You think if the first time there was a hardship, they said, okay, I say, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going back. Maybe some did. But there wouldn't be anybody in Oregon today if, if people turned back the first time they met a, a, a hardship. They had to work through it. They had to realistically work through that. I'm suggesting to you that in our spiritual journey, there are going to be setbacks and there are going to be discouragements. Uh, some, some of the discouragements that I face may be from others, from my brethren, from my family, even from strangers. I may be discouraged because of what others do. I'll tell you, very often the discouragements we face are from ourselves. You know, we let ourselves down. We've got to be realistic. It's a, it's a hard trip, and there's going to be some setbacks. We gotta, when we falter, we've got to pick ourselves up and get going again. But we have the promise that that's possible. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John says there's going to be these, these setbacks, but we have the promise that God will continue to forgive us as we seek to do his will. We need to be realistic about that and just don't throw up our hands and quit uh, at, at the first sign of trouble. Keep reminding yourself of the advantages of living for God. You know... Think of something that we do. Unfortunately, some of us very often have to engage in a diet. You know, so I'm, I'm going to go on a diet. You know, uh, and my goal in this diet is I, I want to look better and feel better. Uh, I, I want to do it for my health and my appearance. Okay, those those those, those worthy goals. Okay, but I'm telling you right now. There's a, a three-layer chocolate cake sitting right in the middle of the kitchen table. <laughs> uh, it's hard to 
keep reminding myself of my, my dietary goals when that chocolate cake is staring me in the face right there sitting in the middle of the kitchen table. That's sort of what it's like spiritually, you know. Uh, we know there's advantages to serving God. There's advantages here and there's advantages eternally for serving God. But in the moment of temptation, oh boy, those temptations can be strong. And so as we're faced with those temptations, we've got to keep reminding yourself, ourselves, it's better. It's better to serve God. My life is better now and my life will be better in eternity. There's all kind of advantages for serving God, and I, I've got to keep remembering those. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul compared what's happening right here and now. This is just momentary. This is just for a moment. But what we seek to gain is forever. It's eternal. And so we've got to be wise enough and, and, and have enough perspective to keep reminding ourselves about the advantages of serving God. We need to make plans to do good. We have, a, we have an adage, an expression, you've heard it plenty of time, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Now, that's sort of chimney corner scripture. That's not actually expressed in those exact words in the Bible. Some people think that uh, a passage maybe like Proverbs 16, 27 was the orig or origination of that expression. It's certainly a biblical concept that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so the point of it is get busy doing good and you won't have time to engage in evil. We sort of touched on that in our Bible class this morning when we talked about that man who was was ridded of a demon, but he didn't fill that void in his life and other demons came back and it was worse than before because he, he didn't fill up the void in his life with good things. And that's the concept we're talking about here. Make, make absolute plans that you're going to engage in doing good. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Don't, don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him that opening. Keep yourself occupied with doing the will of God. In Romans 13 verse 14 but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I really like this expression here. Make not provision for the flesh. And I think that's just really such an important thing. Sometimes we set ourselves up for failure. We put ourselves in circumstances. We, we go places. We're with the wrong kind of people. We allow ourselves to be in, in a situation where we're almost destined to fail. Instead of that, we need to plan to do good and keep ourselves away from evil situations that will tend to put us in spiritual jeopardy, make plans to do good and not evil. Look beyond the present. We already dealt with this just uh, in a sense, but just to expand upon this just a little bit more, I want to take you back to those Oregon Trail travelers again. Uh, we talked about the hardships they had to have faced on the way. I, 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 I just can't, I, honestly, I don't think that we, we are, we're pretty soft. We're pretty spoiled. We have our luxuries. That hard travel on those covered wagons on that long journey, it was, it was something over 2,000 miles from St. Louis uh, to the Oregon coast. Maybe, what are you, you're thinking, maybe you might make 20 miles a day? Maybe, I don't know. Might be hard to make 20 miles a day. If you made 20 miles a day, it's a hundred-day-long trip from St. Louis to Oregon. 
and it's a hard trip. And, and, and again, it'd be very easy uh, to keep thinking, uh, to, to think about the hardships. What you had to do is you had to keep thinking about the beautiful place you'd heard about in Oregon. They say Oregon is just fabulously beautiful. I've never been there. I want to go there sometime. But they say the Oregon area, uh, so someone said around Salem, Oregon, is just almost the most beautiful place in North America probably. Uh, you've got to keep thinking of that. You, you've got to look beyond the present hardships to that beautiful place on, at the end of the Oregon Trail. Uh, don't be distracted by the mud. Don't be distracted because you got sick. Don't be distracted because you're really, really tired. Keep looking beyond the, the, the present to the, to the end goal. Paul said in Colossians 3, beginning verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So there's a contrast here in this verse. There are things above, there are things on the earth. We've got to stay focused on and keep looking toward those things which are above. Again, a, a, a thing that we have sort of touched on already, but to repeat, realize that you help others when you do right. Who are the most important people in your life? Let me ask that question. Who are the most important people in your life? Well, uh, for many of us, I think we would quickly answer, you know, our family, our wives, our children, uh, uh, some other family relative, dear friends, uh, brethren in Christ, people that are really important to us. I tell you, there's nothing that you can do for them that is more important than living right and setting that kind of an example before them. The best thing that you, parents, the best thing that you can do for your kids is to live the will of God in their presence. That's the best thing you can do for everybody. You help others when you do right. First Timothy chapter four verse sixteen. Paul says to Timothy, Take heed to thyself, and unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so when Timothy did right, it would be good for him, but he'd be helping others as well. And Paul encouraged him to do that. Uh, you're on the Oregon Trail. One of the things you've got to do is you've got to be always mindful of your adversaries. You know... You got to think. There are a lot of things that could attack you on the Oregon Trail. Uh, there's Indians out there. You know, you got to go. Got to go through Indian territory. I think the Indians. I mean, we're going to have to really be on guard against the Indians as we make this trip. And there's also some ferocious wild animals out there that can uh, that, that can do a lot of harm. And you're going to have to be on. So you got to be on guard against all these potential adversaries. To that end. Uh, travelers like that would post guards at night. You didn't just pull in, you know, at the end of the day, everybody just crashed, you know. So, uh, ah, we're not even going to circle the wagons tonight. We're too, we're too tired to circle the wagons and we're too tired to even deal with the horses and, and oxen. We just, I'm, I'm hitting the sack, man. I am tired. I'm bone tired. You know what's going to happen? You know, the, the Indians are going to attack. The, the wild animals are going to come and eat your horses. You've got, to, you've got to guard against the adversary. You've got to be always mindful that the ad, adversary is out there and he can do you great harm. 
spiritually speaking, the same thing is true. Be mindful of your adversary. You know this verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's out there. He's always out there. He's constantly seeking to do us spiritual harm. You've got to keep that in mind and resist him all the time. And then finally, just, just, just a sort of a very simple observation. Be enthusiastic about this opportunity. We're on a journey, and it's not always an easy journey, but man, the, the, the benefits of it are just off the chart. Be enthusiastic about this opportunity we have to make this journey toward heaven. This time of year, especially as the weather turns more foul, it's always kind of amazing to watch sports fanatics. You know, and, and I, I, love to see, I love to see a football game played in the snow. I just think there's something cool about playing football in the snow. But what's really amazing is when the camera pans over and the stands are full of people sitting in the snow. And they've got their big heavy coats on and some kind of a crazy hat denoting their loyalty to their team. And the, and the snow is just coming down. You know it's freezing cold. They're enthusiastic about that. They're all in. And I would just say that's the way we need to be about our serving God. We need to be all in. We need to be enthusiastic. Being enthusiastic about something makes it so much easier. If you're enthusiastic, even if you have a hard job to do, it makes it so much easier than if you approach it with sort of a dreaded obligation. I don't want to do this. I'm going to do it because I have to, but I really don't want to do this. That just, that just multiplies the difficulty of the task. But if you're enthusiastic in the doing of it, you can get it done so much easier. We just need to be enthusiastic about this journey that we are on toward the promised land of heaven. Those early pilgrims and strangers, stranger, they were, those people who took the Oregon Trail, they were, they were certainly strangers and pilgrims, uh, but we are too. We're certainly strangers and pilgrims, spiritually speaking, on this journey toward heaven. And there's some things that we can do to make our success rate higher. On the Oregon Trail, at least one out of ten people who started out on the Oregon Trail didn't make it. What about our spiritual journey? What do you think, what do you think the odds uh, on our spiritual journey are? Do you think that one out of ten people who start for heaven won't make it? I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to estimate that, but it might be worse than that. Uh, that that maybe a greater percentage of people who start for heaven won't get there. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be me. Have a plan. Follow the, follow the survival strategies, if you will, to make it to heaven. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Our lesson this morning has been directed toward those of us who are Christians already, who are already on the trail, who are already strangers and pilgrims, have you, have you kind of faltered on your journey? Have you stumbled? Have, have the wheels fallen off of your spiritual wagon? If that's the case, we beg you to come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If you're not yet a Christian, if you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, realize that spiritually speaking, you're just sitting there in St. Louis. And you, you haven't even taken the first step toward the goal of heaven. You're, ju- you're just... You're just standing still you need to get started on the journey 
The way you do that is to become a Christian by obeying that simple gospel plan. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.